Our scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 13. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You know, for better or worse, um, New Year's, the time around New Year's, is always a time of reflection. We stand at the, the twilight of one year, the end of 2020, and the dawn of a new one, the beginning of 2021, and we look backward and we look forward. And as far as opportunities for to look backwards and, and, and reflect, 2020 uh, has some more drastic ones <laughs> than normal, maybe. Because 2020 was a doozy. We're in the middle of a pandemic whose toll on us physically, socially, uh, emotionally won't be known for a long time. It's been a year of quarantines, a year of conspiracy theories, where anxiety and stress has been fanned into flames by political and religious leaders. It's It's been a year. And so here we are, today's December 27th, and I'm wondering at least about the next year, about 2021. And I think we're all a little more tired, we're a little more sad than, than we normally are on a December 27th. And at least I'm asking, what about 2021? How can I, how can we together chart a different way into what the next 12 months holds? How can we, uh, right now, prepare ourselves to be people who walk into 2021 uh, not thrown aside by whatever comes down the pike, but people who hold on to what really matters? So today, what I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 13, which we've just had read for us, um, and see it not just as a prayer, or not just as a passage of inspiration, but also as a prayer that these words can become a prayer that we begin to pray in our hearts um, as we prepare not just for 2021, but for whatever years come in the future, whatever the future may hold for us. And so before we dig a little bit further into the passage, I want to give a little bit of background to help us understand 1 Corinthians 
um, and what's going on, why 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter about love, was written in the first place. Now, our passage today is one of the most famous ones in all, all of Scripture. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've probably heard it read at the wedding. Um, it, it's referenced in country songs. Uh, in fact, today, it, you could probably go to Hobby Lobby and you'd find a sign that, that has some quotation from 1 Corinthians 13. You could put it on your wall or find it on a you know, throw pillow or whatever. Um, but the original context of 1 Corinthians... Where 1 Corinthians 13 comes from is not uh, the writer, the Apostle Paul, who wrote it. It's not him reflecting on love and, and wanting to write this beautiful poem about love. It actually comes near the end of a very painful and a very difficult letter that he had written to this church in the city of Corinth. Now what had happened, the Apostle Paul in his ministry had come to the city of Corinth and he had started the church there. And as the church grew, more and more people came to Jesus. He became embedded in the community there and he stayed there for 18 months, so a year and a half. And after he moved on pretty quickly, uh, things started to go sideways. Um, it, become, it became a place of a lot of strife, a lot of division, a lot of uh, disunity. Um, there in the city. And 1 Corinthians was a letter that he had written back to this church, these people that he knew so well, writing specifically about all of these issues that had popped up, that all of a sudden had them all at odds with each other, against each other, going against each other in so many ways. And um, there's a lot of issues in 1 Corinthians 13, if you read, or in 1 Corinthians as a whole. If you read through, you'll see a lot of different issues popping up. But they all boil down to kind of one core central thing. And it's the, the development of a kind of spiritual pride there in the church. A spiritual pride had developed in individuals and in groups that poisoned everything. And it looked different in different groups, but that was the core. It was this spiritual pride that looked down at other people. And that leads me to what I'm calling my first section, Missing the Point. There in Corinth, in the church, Paul says that the people had lost the center. They had lost what was most important. They'd become enthralled with things that uh, surrounded Jesus, that were kind of about Jesus, but in the, the, the middle of it, they had lost the love of Jesus as the guiding point, as the anchor that holds the whole thing together. And so they had, become to, they had begun to be divided into different groups, into different factions. And one group uh, really majored on this thing, and this other group really majored on this other thing. And they had all lost the center. Uh, he identifies here in 1 Corinthians 13 kind of three broad groups, and I'm going to call them the know-it-alls, the feel-it-alls, and the do-it-alls. And first you had the feel-it-alls. The feel-it-alls were people who took uh, great pride in their deep emotional spiritual experiences, and they thought that their experiences made them more important than other people, that they were varsity Christians and everybody else was JV. In Corinth, these were Christians that were having these incredible experiences of being able to speak in other languages that they had never learned before. Paul talks about it, and the New Testament talks about it as speaking in tongues or speaking in uh, languages. And the, the, this was a gift that was very kind of rare, but it was given in, in certain instances, and people would speak in languages that they didn't know and communicate God's truth to people they had never met who spoke a different language. 
So this is, you know, this is pretty deep emotional, <laughs> spiritual experience here. Um, and this group of people that had had this experience began to say that they were obviously, again, spiritual varsity. Everybody else was JV, but they were the A team. They were they were the starters. So you had the feel-it-alls. Then you had the know-it-alls. They took pride in how much they knew. They measured themselves against others based on their own self-professed wisdom. They looked down at other people who couldn't teach as well as they could. Or they looked down at other people who hadn't read as much as they had or been uh, educated at the same level as them. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 2. He says, "...people who fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains." This group acted, again, as if they were varsity, as, the, as if the most important thing was collecting the most facts um, and everybody else who didn't have as much uh, knowledge as them. They were JV. You had the feel-it-alls, you had the know-it-alls, and then you had what I'm calling the do-it-alls. The do-it-alls, they took pride in how much they had done, how much they had sacrificed for the cause. The Apostle Paul talks, talks about it in verse 3. You notice he says those who had given all their possessions to the poor or those who had given their body over to harm and mistreatment. They had suffered physically for their faith. And this group acted as if the people who had sacrificed the most, that they were varsity and everybody else was JV. But what's the point of knowledge? This is what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13. What's the point of knowledge? What's the point of of uh, deep emotional experiences. What's the point of sacrificing on behalf of others? The point is not uh, those things. The point is that the love of God would be formed in us, a love that touches not just our head, not just our heart, not just our hands, but touches every part of us, head, heart, and hands. A love that impacts all of who we are. But apart from that love... Apart from that love that is formed in us, the greatest amount of knowledge, the greatest sacrifices we can make, the biggest emotional experiences we could have, they're a waste. They're a distraction. Or in this very strong word that the Apostle Paul uses here, they are nothing. These big sacrifices, this great knowledge, these incredible emotional experiences, detached from love, as the center, they're nothing. The point is love. And that brings me to my second section, finding the center. The first one was missing the point. The second one is finding the center. Love is the point. But what does that mean? What do we mean when we say love? What does it mean for us to be people who have love at the center of who we are? You know, I think we tend to think of love as a feeling. We feel like we're in love. We fall in love. Uh, we, we define it in like romantic ways. Or maybe we think of love as an action. You know, I've heard people say, and I've even said, love is a verb. Love is loving actions on behalf of other people. But for the Christian, before love is a feeling, before love is an action, before love is anything, it's a person. Before love is anything else, it's a person. As first, as first John chapter four says, God is love. So before love is anything else, before it's a verb or an adjective, love is a noun, a pronoun. In fact, God is love, and that means that when we come to First Corinthians thirteen, this isn't just a list of things 
that we should try to get better at. The danger is that we would approach 1 Corinthians 13 like uh, these folks who were building spiritual pride about their experiences or how much they knew. We would come to 1 Corinthians 13 and treat it like a list. And we would say, okay, I need to be more uh, patient and more kind. And and we can make the list and check it out. And we say, okay, I'm going to work really hard at being that. But that would also be missing the point. Finding the center of what it means for love to be the point is understanding that first of all, before this is a list of what should be formed in us, this is a description of the God who is love. The God who is most clearly revealed to us in Jesus Christ. That our ideas of what love is are rooted and defined in who He is which means that for his love to be formed in us, for these things that Paul is about to list in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, for that to be formed in us, the only way it's going to happen is for us to be so enthralled with God's love for us. Much of 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of uh, the fruit of a tree. But the root of that tree, how this love is formed in us as people, the root of it is God's incredible love for us. And if we miss this, like I said, if we miss this, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 like another to-do list. But the truth is love will only be formed in us when it springs out of a knowledge and an experience of God's incredible love for us. Our hearts must be captured by the beauty of and the, the, the depth to which God would go in Jesus to show us His love. And so for us to uh, be people who don't become know-it-alls, do-it-alls, feel-it-alls, for us to be people who are about love, it means for us to look at Jesus time and time again, to never grow tired of understanding how much He loves us, to look at the reality of what we just celebrated in the Advent season and at Christmas, the arrival of Jesus into our world, Emmanuel, God with us, going to the reality of our human experience to be one of us so that we might be lifted up to share in His joy, to look continuously at His cross, the sacrifice that He made for our sins so that He could judge our sin and judge it rightly but not swallow us up in the process so he could take the punishment for our sin and give us his righteousness. To continuously look at his resurrection, his vindication in the eyes of everyone that he's defeated the power of death and sin and he gives us that victory. That we would come back time and time again, that this would be the very center. And as we become enthralled with this incredible love of God for us, that's when love forms in us. That's when we become people who are patient, who are kind, who do not envy, who do not boast, who are not proud. So I want to have that in our minds as we read again. I'm going to read part of this list again Um, because the danger is probably what maybe you did, what I did when I heard 1 Corinthians 13 read just a moment ago. I started thinking, well, (laughs) I'm not patient. I'm not kind. I do envy. I, I do boast. I am proud. 
the point is not for us to read 1 Corinthians 13 and feel guilty. The point is to see 1 Corinthians 13 as a work that God is beginning to do in our hearts. Jesus. Jesus in His great love for us, transforming us into people of love. So let's look at it again. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always, always perseveres. My hope for, for myself and for my family and my hope for you My hope for our church is this, that this description of love would be more characteristic, more and more characteristic of us in 2021. And so I'd like to invite you to begin praying with me, praying 1 Corinthians 13, taking the words of this chapter of Scripture and making this a regular prayer for yourself, for your family, for our church, for our community, starting this week. Maybe even uh, memorize this passage or, or write it down and let's begin praying even in simple ways that God would make us people who are patient, that God would make us people who are kind, that he would make us people who do not envy, who do not boast, who are not proud, make us people who do not dishonor others, uh, people that are not self-seeking, etc., etc. That God would do this in us. And again, like I said, it only happens as we are enthralled by this picture of God's incredible love for us in Jesus Christ. But let's take time. Even if it's just time in the car as we're driving to work or time, uh, the moments here and there in a busy day of reflection, that we would say, God, make me a person of love. That we would reflect and meditate on the level and the depth of God's love for us that we would begin to be people who long to see this be descriptive of our community. And that brings me to my final section. And Paul's, uh, as he closes this chapter here, love never fails. Love never fails. Now, we all want to be part of something that matters, something that lasts. We hate the idea that something we've worked on would come to nothing, that efforts could be wasted or that a project would fail. I think that's part of human nature, that we're designed to be about things that matter and things that last. And Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 13, he actually appeals to this, I think, starting in verse 8. He says that love never fails. And then he begins to talk about prophecy and tongues and knowledge again. And he says that they pass away, that tongues will be stilled, that knowledge will pass away, uh, that prophecy will be silenced. And that means that for all the things that we would tend to think are very spiritually important, that, that, that are very descriptive of someone who takes Jesus seriously, uh, the know-it-alls, the do-it-alls, the feel-it-alls, I think that's all in our hearts, All of those things have a shelf life. All of those things have a shelf life. And he's talking about good things. Again, knowledge, prophecy, which in Scripture is simply a way of describing, uh, declaring God's truth. Or he speaks about uh, tongues or languages, which are a way to communicate. Paul is talking about things that were a positive good there in the church of Corinth. 
And what he's saying here is that all these good things, all these good things, they aren't ends unto themselves. They aren't purposes in themselves. They exist for a greater reason. To paraphrase uh, Augustine, 5th century pastor who was writing about this passage, he says that all these things, knowledge, it's like a temporary scaffolding. If you've ever been to a building site where a building is going up, you'll go and you'll see temporary uh, scaffolding that's set up. Things that uh, the, the people working on the building, that are building the building, can stand on as they build the building. Now the scaffolding there, obviously it's not part of the finished building. When the building is done, the scaffolding's removed. But the scaffolding is there to help the building be built. The scaffolding is a temporary thing that's there for the point of the building being built. Paul is saying in these verses that the things that we tend to think are super important in our world are really just scaffolding on the building of love. The point is that the love of Jesus would be formed in our hearts, and of course this involves knowledge, this involves our emotions, it involves actions, but those things are not the point in themselves. They are the scaffolding. Now, to be sure, the full and complete formation of love in us, that which we long to see happen, that we would be people of love, the, the, the completion of this will only happen when Jesus returns to make all things new what the Scripture calls the new heavens and new earth. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says here that, that uh, then we shall see face to face. Then I will know fully. There's an experience of glory and an experience of love that we'll only know when Jesus returns and we see the full effects of sin rolled back completely. But our calling here today staring into the future of 2021 and whatever lies beyond that, our calling in the here and now is to be people about, first and foremost, that which will last, that which will remain. Our calling today is not to treat the scaffolding like it's the permanent building, but to see the gifts that God has given us, the resources that He's placed in our hand, the opportunities, uh, the locations that He's put us. To see these as, as, as scaffolding and building the building of love. To be about that which remains. Or as he says in the very final verse of this chapter, these three things remain. These three things last. Everything else may pass away, but these three things last. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because even faith and hope, which he lists here, which of course are important, even faith and hope have a shelf life. Faith will one day give way to sight. Hope will one day become experience. Again, the new heavens and new earth, we won't have faith that God will do something one day because He has done it. We won't have hope that God will do something one day because He's done it. But love, love will remain always. Love doesn't give way to something else. Love, in a sense, is our destination. It's where we're heading. Love is the very best description of what we were created for, what we're being redeemed for, and what we'll know in all eternity. And so let's here and now, starting today, starting this next year, let's be about that which will remain. 
Let's not neglect the important temporary things. Let's not neglect the scaffolding. Scaffolding is important, right, for the building of a building. But let's keep things centered on what they should be centered on. Let's build the building of love together using the resources and the gifts that God has given to us and enthralled by the love of God for us, which is far beyond what we could ever dream or measure or think. Captured by that love. Let's look forward to the love of God that will be our sanctuary, that will be our rest, that will be our home forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do this work in us, that we would not treat uh, something like 1 Corinthians 13 as a list of things to do, but Lord, we would see this as a hopeful thing of what you are doing, beginning to do, and, and in the process of doing in us even now. And teach us in your way to, be, uh, to put the things that should be at the center in the center, to put you, Jesus, in the center, to put your incredible love for us in the center, and, and, and as we forever look back to that as our worthiness, look back to that as our motivation, let us be people who in turn uh, have love formed in our hearts. From the root of your love for us, form the fruit of love in what we think, in what we do, in uh, how we feel. I pray, do this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.